This is Ruben Levy, we're learning together. The book, Ganemunah. God of faith of Shalom Arush. The Hebrew version of the book, we're on page 75. We're talking about what happens when someone is causing me problems, someone is giving me difficulties. How do I deal with that from the point of view of Amunah? How do I, how do I still see Hashem even though there's someone else in the picture who appears to be using their own free will to make me suffer. So, what we've been learning is a person needs to see this from Hashem. A person needs to know that whatever happens to him in the world only from Hashem. Including however that happens whether it's happening through other people through events through germs through illnesses Shem is causing him to be sick Shem is causing him to be suffering he's the only reason Parash is writing at this point some people hold in a moon in a level of chetzi chetzi half in half out I've got one foot in Amuna and I've got one foot out trying to play both sides of the coin you're right I accept that Hashem is in control of things but this person also has to blame but it's not it's not true it's not correct a person can't claim that they have Amuna and still blame someone else a person has complete amuna, which is not easy, but that's what we're aiming for. A person has complete amuna, there's no blame on anyone else. There's no one else to blame. The only person, it's not person, but the only possible uh, place that a person can point their finger at blame is straight up. If you're going to blame, at least blame the, the right address. Don't look at the person the stick in the hand of the of the master and put blaming the stick you have to blame the person who's holding we holding the stick so then you get in the whole issue of blaming Hashem but at least blaming Hashem is a lot more honest and a lot more uh, real than blaming someone else at least I'm turning to the correct address. At least I realise principle one, rule one of Amunah, there's only Hashem. So I've got that one ticked. I haven't got the second one. The second one is that Hashem only does good. And now I'm blaming him. So that one's messed up. But principle one, I've got. There's only Hashem. He's the only one to blame in this situation. Principle two is there's no, there's no need to blame because Hashem is only doing good. I need to get to that first step is to know that it's coming from Hashem and not from someone else and if I say I have a munah yet I still blame other people so I've got I'm a chetzi chetzi one foot in and one foot out Uh, Ravash writes that a person who does this who 
he's writing here about people who come to him with marital issues and the husband says I understand that Hashem is in control of everything but my wife is still dot 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 so he's in this camp of having one foot in one foot out right he, yeah I know Hashem's running the world but my wife is still doing X, Y and Z which is not, not correct Arash writes about that this person is like a, is like a dog that bites the stick and not the person who is uh, holding the stick right? a dog just sees a stick if you want to act like a dog so you blame you blame your wife you blame the person in front of your face fine a dog has limited intelligence if you want to act like a dog with limited intelligence so you can also blame the stick but you don't have to we can, we can, we can go beyond that right to the person holding the stick like Tosh person in this situation doesn't realise that his Yeshua his salvation is close if only he will wake up and fix that which he needs to fix in himself and therefore it turns out that what we see from here is that um gamba the gamba you a person stays with his suffering and his claims that he was right some people let me phrase that we <laughs> whenever I say some people it means us right? doesn't mean that someone else that we're talking about this theoretical non-believer heretic right that we're talking about no talking about <coughs> the non-believing heretic which resides inside of us a little bit not completely gone we're not, we're not studying him yet so that part of us would rather would rather be right than admit that maybe I have something to change. What are we talking about? So in this circumstance, right? Let's uh, continue with the example here, where the husband is blaming the wife, and he's not saying Hashem. He's saying, yes, I know Hashem is ruling the world, but my wife is still acting in a not nice way. She's not treating me correctly. Fine. He would the husband wants to be right. But by being right, he loses everything. He keeps his suffering because it doesn't go away. And he loses a chance to fix himself by addressing the real problems that are causing that are causing Hashem to send him the stick. For what? Because I want to be right. I want to be right. And I'm holding on to the fact that she is doing things wrong. 100%. <coughs> but that's more important to me than fixing myself. The feeling that it gives me to know that I'm right and she's wrong, that I can blame someone else, that I can feel better than them, that I can see that they're to a fault and I'm not. It's a big gate Sahara. It's very comforting, unfortunately. Right? Half the, half the problem with Lash and Hara is that the person who speaks it feel good when they put someone else down right 
we need to get over that for the greater purpose. The greater purpose is that I'm, I'm trying to fix myself. I have to give up on being right in order that I can start looking at what I need to fix. And I can only do that if I, I get rid of the, the self-justification, I'm right, she's wrong. So people like this, we need to say, you want to be right? No problem. Continue being right. But know that your life will be like Gehenna. People who want to be right, they don't fix anything. Because there's such a need to win, to be right, to be correct that I can't take the I can't take my failures I can't accept or look at the fact that I'm failing now it might be fair enough right justification wise there might be good reasons why that is as a kid my parents never complimented me on anything they always criticised me and I just my neshama just can't take it anymore right and I can't take criticising myself so to speak or seeing that I failed at anything I just, I just can't accept it I just can't go there so there could be very wonderful sociological, technical reasons why. However, nonetheless, I have to realise that's a big problem. I need to pray on it. Hashem. I can't, I can't accept taking the blame for anything. I have to recognise it. But I know if I don't start looking at my faults and my failures and trying to make shuva, I'm never going to change. Hashem, you need to help me overcome that. You need to help me start to be able to look at my own failings, my own problems in a in a way that's safe and comfortable for me, that's not going to destroy me we're full we're full, full of self-persecution from the Sahara. so the Sahara comes along and does, looks like it's doing the job of making of telling us what we're doing wrong so that we make teshuva but actually takes the place of real teshuva Instead of us actually doing real teshuva, which is to see what it is I need to work on, where I'm not doing things correctly, what I need to change, instead of me doing that process, which is a healthy process, which is a, a process that gives me energy and life and connects me to Hashem, makes me feel good about myself because I'm improving and I'm changing. So instead of that healthy version, we get the unhealthy version. Right? Everything has this against that. Hashem creates both versions. And we get the negative version. The negative version is self-persecution. Where we have a voice inside saying, you're a loser, you're a failure, you're no good, you're really bad, etc., etc. And because that takes the place, we can't do Teshuvah anymore. Because we can't now go in our mind, in our head, to, to, into that place where I'm just beating myself up. But that's not Teshuvah. That's not what we're meant to be doing. Isn't that so dangerous that a person can kill himself over it? He could if he, if he, if he listens to the voice of the Yates Sahara and he allows the self-persecution to happen. Usually he's not going to... He's usually going to fall into... Yeah, he could actually defo- Usually well, he falls into despair and depression. Yeah. Right, which is usually the, the not getting off the couch as opposed to actively killing yourself. But there are definitely versions where a person hates themselves so much why do, I, why do I hate myself so much? Because I'm listening to the voice that's telling me I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'm a failure, 
I'm a waste of space, right? And so when a person listens to that voice often, you know, he starts to, uh, to believe it. And it's the Yetzirah, the Chachamim, our sages say that the Yetzirah's job is to try and kill me. And my mash, they're not, they're not joking, it's not just an expression, right? Given the chance, the Yetzirah would do exactly that by this method. So what do I need to do? I need to be right, says I need to be able to distinguish between the voice of the Yates Sahara and the voice of the Yates Tov. There is a Yates a voice of the Yates Tov, which tells me I need to make Teshuvah. I didn't act correct in that situation, I need to make Teshuvah. And that's the voice of the Yates Tov. The voice of the Yates Sahara is you're a failure, you're a loser, you're nothing. Right? That's the voice we need to distinguish. Or we need to ignore that. How do you ignore that? How do you ignore that? So first of all, you have to identify it in order to ignore it. Sometimes the it's such a it's uh, it's so embedded in us it feels like part of us, right? We have to realize that we're not our Yitzhahara, right? It's not part of us. We have to start separating out the Yitzhahara from who we are. We're not the Yitzhahara. Yitzhahara is it's an angel. It's a it's an angel of Hashem with a job to do. Does it very well, right? But it's not us, right? We are good. We have to reinforce that many different ways. Rabbi Nachman says the person needs to look for his good points. Right? We need to see that we're that we're a holy neshama, and that dispels the Yitzhahara. Also, he has to know that when the Yitzhahara has got him, right now the Yitzhahara has got me fine, but I'm not going to do anything crazy or stupid. I'm going to wait till it passes. Or I'm going to actively try and take steps to fight it. Sometimes a person can argue with his Yitzhahara. This is not correct. I'm not, I'm not always wrong. I do have good things in me. I can argue back, just on logical terms. Other times, Rabbi Nachman writes, you just can't argue with the Yitzhahara. It's, it's coming at you at a level that you, you, just, you just feel a wave of depression, sadness, whatever, fill in the blank. You can't deal with it. It's not logical. Nothing happened. No, there's nothing to argue with here. So on times like those, a person has to fight the Yitzhahara with its own weapon. So you just have to do something completely out of the blue as well, which is what uh, Venu calls Mila Dichstuta. You have to do something stupid. Start rolling around the floor, put on uh, silly hats, pull faces in the mirror, whatever it is to get to, and to, to beat the Yitzhahara. And the Yitzhahara will go away. I have to realize that I'm being an idiot right now. I'm being a complete idiot. Right? If you have a wife, then she'll tell you that. So that's helpful. But if you don't yet, then, then you need your, another way of, uh, of realizing that I'm acting like a complete idiot right now and the Yitzhahara just got me. Right? So a person needs a whole whole armory of weapons against the Sahara because he doesn't come in just one one guise, and he never comes uh, <coughs> the same way twice. Rav Natan wrote, um, I don't remember which book, but one of the books. Rav Natan wrote that he thought he'd worked out his Sahara and and how to deal with him, and then he realised as soon as he, as he worked him out, he ch- he changed, <laughs> changed again, right? So. 
we have there's no there's not one size fits all. Just do this and you'll and you'll beat your Yetar every time. We need a whole range of weapons in our armory to do what's the what's the HR gonna throw at me today? Sometimes you just need to cry out to Hashem, there's something else you can do. Right? So there's, there's all different things. And the more a person reads the books of uh, Rabbi Nachman, the more advice, that's what, what he said is his Torah is, it's advice. It's really advice against the Sahara. All different ways of advice against the Sahara, depending on where, where it's got me at the moment. So, read, uh, so for 23 hours, outside of the tshuva would be strengthening the moon and going forward with foresight. But in terms of tshuva, yeah. in, in, in terms of going through for the tshuva, how do you get across the bridge that offer the bridge to do tshuva in the past without the past developments, without being a culprit, without going over something, but yet... Why a culprit? I mean, in essence, how not to be derailed by the past? And how, how to know when you've completed the tshuva how to know when you have more tshuva to do without being derailed by excessively focusing on the past. How do you get across any insights on that that, uh, that bridge in terms of being able to do it so in essence you're, you're not so for 23 hours you're moving forward but the hour of tshuva how do you know when you cover the tshuva? Any insights? Varish writes that a person can't, really, can't make tshuva really unless he's happy in a, in a happy state of mind. So, if I'm in a happy state of mind and I make teshuva, then really that should be enough. If my if I feel that my teshuva is not complete, could be because I'm not making teshuva from happiness. Meaning, I'm making teshuva from a place of sadness and despair and and, and all of other negative emotions, and therefore it's not really working. But so. The essence is to to get to a place of happiness. Normally, to get to a place of happiness and make sure from there. Top. But if a person, back to our story, if a person um, continues to see that another person is causing him harm, right? He doesn't see only Hashem, he sees someone else too I, I also see Hashem and I also see this person too while he stays with that picture then his life can be Gehenna so what do we say if the person wants to see the truth that the, that the problem is really with him and to fix himself and begin to live with Emunah that there's nothing other than Hashem then he can start to live in Gan Eden a person can't run away from the reality. A person needs to live a munah, full stop. What does that mean? Meaning, to believe that there's nothing other than Hashem. All the problems that he has, they're only from Hashem. And only with Hashem does he, does he have uh, any business with, so to speak. Right? No point his business, his, his uh, actions, his response is only towards Hashem. And everything is only in the hands of Hashem. And only when a person, when Hashem decides, only then will the suffering leave the person. Right? 
even though a person thinks he can affect or influence his suffering by going directly to what he sees as the cause, this person's causing me suffering. And I think that I can affect or influence this person to stop upsetting me, annoying me, dealing with me, how they're dealing with me. Truth is, it's not true. It's only Hashem. <coughs> Hashem is doing everything. I, I've mentioned this story before, but it's a great story, so well, it's a short one as well. So I'll say again. Rav Nachman told a story once of a man in a forest. And uh, he's walking in the forest, and he sees this big, brown, grey, whatever, grizzly bear coming towards him with that look in his eyes and he knows that he's going to be finished in a few, sh- few short seconds. And he hasn't got any weapon or anything on him but he's carrying his walking stick. So he thinks to himself, alright, what am I going to do? So he picks up his stick and he aims it like a gun at the bear. And he thinks, who knows, the, the bear's a dumb bear, maybe the bear will think it's a gun. So he picks up the stick, aims it at the bear and shouts, bang! What happens? Bear falls over dead. Guy's all happy with himself, thinks he's killed the bear with his new gun. What he doesn't realise is that standing 20 metres up the hill was a hunter who saw the whole thing and was standing there with a gun and realised this, this man was about to be attacked and he shot him. But the guy didn't know that, they all thought it was his stick. That's the, that's the end of the story. That's the end of one of Rabbi Nachman's stories. Is in the... so, so what's the mashal? The mashal is, we think we're doing stuff, but we're really not. And we're as dumb as the man with the stick. With bare stupidity. Right? <laughs> bare stupidity, thank you very much. Bare stupidity, right? There you go. <coughs> right, but that's us. We think we're achieving things. Because it looks that way. Right? And Hashem lets us think that because we have free choice. But the truth is, Hashem is doing everything. The suffering is only going to stop when Hashem decides. So, the the main piece of advice is you have to go to, to Hashem. You have to ask Him. Even though it looks like I can do something here, that's my test, that's my emunah. In a place where I can do something, I'm giving it back to Hashem. A place I can't do anything anyway, so it's not such a big deal to go to to go back to Hashem, right? If I have uh, an illness that I can't affect, so it's, it's not such a chiddush, it's not such a big test that I, I lie in bed and pray to Hashem to save me. So I haven't got any other choice. Better than picking up the phone and I know, doctors' pills or whatever. But there's less choice. But when a person is in front of me and I do have, especially if it's a close relative or someone that I can have influence over. So it's much harder to, to go direct to Hashem. But that's really, that's the test in those situations. How much, always a test, right, that, that comes up every single time, every single day, moment of our life, the test of how much Hishtadlut I need to do. How much I really need to do. When everything is really Hashem. Hashem is the hunter with the gun, he's doing everything. He's giving me Parnassah, he's giving me my health. He's giving me Shalom Bayez, he's giving me kids, he's not giving me kids, he's not giving me my wife, he's not giving me my Shidduch. It's all him. But how much do I need to do? So there's, there's no answer to that. If a person wants to get married, how much Hishtadlut does he need to do on Shidduch? Or how much does he should just go to the field and pray to Hashem? 
So there's no answer that you need to go on three dates, one date, no date. Each person needs to, to make their choice. But to know that really it's Hashem. The more I can put into Hashem, the better. I can't put 100% because I'm not a sadic on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu where I can not eat for 40 days and 40 nights knowing that Hashem is feeding me. Can't do that. Truth is, only Hashem is feeding me. But I'm not at the level to, to, to go through that test. So I have to do something. I have to eat. There's no difference between me and Moshe Rabbeinu. If Hashem can feed Moshe Rabbeinu for 40 days and 40 nights without any food, he can do the same for me. But I don't believe that, so I have to eat. So I have to do some Ishtadlut. Depends how much. Depends what I'm holding. Each person is going to do what they can, but our job is, our goal is that we, we ultimately want to get to a place where we're conscious and aware and knowing that Hashem is doing everything. doesn't mean that I have to do nothing. And you could say even the opposite. The Gemara brings the case of four kings. <coughs> and it says that, that David and Melech was the greatest of them all. Three other kings, when they went to battle, says one of them uh, prayed first and then didn't go into battle and Hashem took care of the, the people. Another one, he just sang Shira and Hashem took care of them. The third one just went to sleep, didn't do anything. But the David and Melech went into battle. And the Gemara says, David Melech was, was higher than them all. Why? Because David Melech could go into battle and still know it wasn't him. The other kings couldn't go into battle and think that it wasn't them. So they had to sing Shira, they had to do prayer, they had to do something else and then not, not battle. Right? And then they knew Hashem. But David Melech went into battle and knew it was only Hashem. And that was the highest level of them all, uh, out of all four. So there is something to say for the fact that we, the, the highest level is actually, but we shouldn't kid ourselves to think that we're on the level of David Amalek, certainly if the other three, uh, Chizkiah, Zia, and whatever the fourth one was, I've gone now, right? Weren't able to do it then. But, I, but that's still the goal. The goal is to know that Hashem is doing everything. Hashem is behind. The more we can give over to Hashem, and the less <coughs> we can use Kochi and Yadi, the strength and power of my own right hand, then that, that then we're getting we're building our amuna we're growing closer to Hashem. Yeah. And as they go, like that goes on the other side. Setbacks and the failures and be able to uh, see that they're Hashem. Or us to bring us closer. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you.